0: Hey, I'm Mike Priest, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their zone of genius as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders by founders. This is the Founders Forward.
1: All right, Josh and Ellie, first off, appreciate you guys being here. Uh, First question I've got is just give us a one minute pitch on on Chef Prep. Uh, How you guys got to where you are today and what all you're working on?
2: Yeah, cool. Um, I'll kick off. So Chef Prep's a marketplace that connects uh, premium food producers. So like independent restaurants and artisan food creators with customers across Australia. So our main point of difference is we focus on long shelf life items. That might be frozen meals or dry goods that you can stock for like 12 months. So we actually consolidate and hold that stock, which means that customers have the ability to order from multiple different restaurants and brands in the same order, which is kind of something that's really unique in the Australian market.
1: Nice, how, uh, Um, sorry, I was just gonna ask, how'd you uh, figure out starting the business? Like what was the main pain point for you all? How'd you uh, just get over the inception? Uh
0: Yeah, I think for us to get started, what we um, we, we followed the advice that we generally try to give other people, which is do the lowest fidelity fastest test that you can to validate the underlying assumptions, so I think to Ellie's point, um, we kind of had a core thesis around the business Um, And then there was different, I guess, variables in that that we had to validate that supported it. So for us, it was would restaurant partners want to come on the platform and secondly, would customers want to buy it? We knew that there was no technical risk. It was um, execution risk and uh, market risk. So we wanted to take market risk out of it by effectively validating the need for customers and partners. For partners, we just did cold sales and signed up um, half a dozen before we launched with just a... A website, a landing page, no actual product, and then on the consumer side, we did a cheap and nasty landing page, which like discussed the service with stock images, and then got people onto a waiting list. And we then had thousands of people signed up for a waiting list, which then really helped us out of the gates at launch because we had a group of followers who were keen to work with the brand and launch with the brand, and we didn't have to start from next to nothing. But I guess starting with that is. When we all talk to anyone about how to start something, it's like work out what your assumptions are, work out the lowest quality test to validate it, and then build once it's validated. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. That kind of leads into the next question we had, which is about getting over the cold start problem. So you all went to the supply side first. Um, you want to talk a little bit more just about getting over the cold start problem, getting them to say yes before you necessarily had a, a product or a demand side for that? Yeah. I think that,
0: you know, there's always going to be, if you've got like two sides of it for, I guess like us for a marketplace, you've kind of got to pick your battles because trying to do the chicken and egg problem is difficult about which parts go after first. So we knew that consumers wouldn't go um, based on just the concept they needed to see something more tangible. So that's why we focus on, to your point, the supply side first. And what we did was we actually spent a fair amount of time Uh, doing research and interviews with the partners to understand what their needs were so that the offering was so compelling that they were keen to give it a go, even though there was low amounts of information, not really a demo, nothing really there. It was just like we designed it around their needs so they were happy to sign up. And that was really focused on empathizing with the customer's needs. And then off the back of that, that then allowed us to generate consumer demand because we were able to point to, here's a bunch of restaurants doing this thing with us. Um, Would you like to sign up?
1: Yeah. Which of those sides do you think was harder? to attract on the supplier demand side?
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question. I I think it was probably harder to attract the uh, supply side just because it was a completely new concept. Um, And the way that we pitched it sort of shifted over time because what we came to realize is uh, like, originally when we started with the concept, we were thinking more of the lines of a a fresh food sort of delivery uh, platform. So, you know, delivering meals the following day. And what we quickly realized after doing um, a lot of research, a lot of like, discussions with our initial partners, was that the long shelf life model actually was a much better model for the restaurant partners because they could batch the meals for our service at times that were convenient for them. So it effectively gave them the opportunity to utilize underutilized assets. So, unlike a lot of other food delivery platforms, it wasn't eating into you know, their busiest hours and their focus on you know, like restaurant dining experiences. So that was, that took a lot more time to come to that realization. And I think it's always a really difficult thing when you've got a marketplace and you're trying to attract the supply side when you are, you know, just a concept and you've got limited, you know, tech to show them Um, and not a lot of clout in the industry. But I think, you know, we just kind of worked really hard on building all those relationships and showing that we were building the platform in conjunction with their advice and their insights. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how we did it.
1: Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Marketplace in general, it interests me a lot. I'm going off script a little bit with the questions here, but I'm curious what key metrics are you all tracking in terms of like, do you have a north star metric for marketplace efficiency, uh, or are there just like a handful of metrics that matter most to you all that you're uh, measuring and monitoring? I'm curious to get your take on that.
0: Yeah, I think um, one thing that we've done and put a lot of effort into, which was a big lift is, really having all the data fed into a central source. um, And that's collecting all the various data from uh, customer data to uh, collection data from uh, like restaurant partners, et cetera. um, And having that feed into a centralized database so that we could then always have a pulse on the metrics that matter. And the way we actually do it is we have a weekly health metrics meeting, which is tied to monthly uh, strategy adjustments and quarterly OKR um, adjustments as well, but really those key metrics of what we look at each um, week and Take all our product and strategic initiatives based on the quality of those metrics, and they're bucketed broadly into what we would call like unit economic self, which is what we're looking at is like, yes, it's very good for us to be able to uh, generate revenue, but is the underlying core business profitable? And we look at things like AOV, our take rate, and then the cost of fulfilling that revenue as well. And then on the other side, which is a function of consumer demand, it's really about growth um, and maximizing GMV, and that's kind of a north star metric but then because we're also a marketplace operations uh, business and we do uh, have a lot of physical infrastructure that we've invested in as well we also look on efficiency so how efficiently can we turn over the inventory what's the breakage what's the waste we are fully on consignment but for us the more that we maximize the throughput of the warehouse the more profitable we become. So even though we don't have the inventory risk, our incentive is to
1: um, maximize the output of that. So we track efficiency on that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like hierarchy of difficulty, like marketplaces, I would say are ranked at the top of that. So I'm just like interested in how marketplace founders are thinking about getting over these problems or like tracking efficiency. I think it's always interesting to hear your take. all right, switching gears a little. It's, it's bit. Fun. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just that.
0: Uh, just on that point because I was thinking about it today. Because previously I had worked in more pure software businesses, Um and I think everyone kind of always looks at the uh, grass is greener on the other side, where some of our friends who are pure SaaS go like, "Oh, so much more I do." Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, then the other side. So it's like, yeah, it's the it's a nightmare when you're dealing with atoms and um, not just bits. But um, on the other side, I think it's like people always like look at the other side and go, oh, "It's so much easier, it's so much better." So I think it's like, yeah, are
1: hard, but all businesses are hard. Yeah, I mean, pure SaaS, like we just gotta keep one set of customers happy. Like you guys gotta double that. You gotta keep both sides happy. Man, it's tough. Yeah. Except- yeah
2: interesting the balancing act and and kind of keeping that both sides sort of aligned somewhat there's always going to be you know tensions there but trying to maintain a a stronger ecosystem in the marketplace is is definitely something that we're really cognizant of
0: I think um you know uh, what you got to say is like yes you do have to focus on one set of customers but it is all purely code based so one benefit that we enjoy about having um the physical infrastructure that we invest in is it creates such a strong moat that like the barrier to entry for competition is so much higher that's why oftentimes there's uh, you do see multiple players trying to compete for the same I guess, segment in SaaS, like there's so many bloody OKR um, software trackers that there's like millions out there could even name them. So for us, it's like, yes, it's like, there's all, you guys have a narrow focus, which allows it to be more efficient. But for us, it's like having all these different things to deal with means that like, we one thing that we don't have to worry about is necessarily like, is our direct competitor going to spring up tomorrow? Like it's going to be hundred X, whatever. It's like, no, no, we kind of own the space and control the space and just need to focus on growth.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just like longer trough, uh, just like getting everything to a sustainable position but then once you're there like less to worry about
2: yes yeah, exactly
1: uh all right switching gears a little bit but you all have been at this for a while obviously have a lot of knowledge sort of what would be your one piece of advice for anybody starting a company today
0: um as i said i think like 99 of it is uh just doing something like um the amount of times that because you know of found a, a- the multiple companies now when people come to me for advice about a start, I go just do anything like it doesn't actually matter like the effectiveness of doing something doing uh, taking the first step on the journey is the most important because eventually you'll bumble your way through it so just have a crack and do anything it doesn't need to be good doesn't need to do anything as long as you're working at the problem eventually you'll make progress so the most important thing is about actually doing something and that could be talking to customers that could be um, prototyping but just going out and doing something and not just talking about it and pontificating about it in your room by itself
1: totally
2: yeah. a lot of talking I'm from- yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of talking a
1: lot of talking. there's not a lot of stuff <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, once you've established a business, I think um, one of the big learnings for us was amalgamating that data. Like we we really put a lot of effort into making sure that everyone was tracking the right data and it was pulling through the right data set. And that has, you know, really made us much more focused and efficient in the way that we operate. And we can actually like, you know, quite accurately track what's going well and what's going wrong and, you know, where it's going wrong, adjust to, to change tax based on that data or double down if it is going well. So I think that's been a huge leap forward in the way that we've operated in business and it took a lot of concerted effort and a lot of pulling together know everyone from different departments to come together and really like focus in on that project but that's um i think really been like a bit of a game changer for our business yeah and
0: i think it sounds something that like it sounds so simple but it's actually to do it properly is extremely hard and the benefit is that you end up with um um without having that centralized like uh, on the pulse data source um you're trying to navigate without a map so once you have the map it's like way easier to know how to change course and change directions but when you're flying blind it's just crazy and the amount of startups that we know that just don't do it because it's not a priority of building that cool new feature. It's like no no that should prioritize all your product development and roadmap that like where's that data coming from
1: what small change if you could narrow down like one small change you made in the last year what is that change that's made a biggest difference in your life
2: yeah so um for me personally just it's probably work related so it's not super exciting but um putting in place like a really rigorous getting things done framework at work has helped exponentially um, because I think like I was always, I mean, I, I'm a lawyer by trade. So I kind of had that, like plan out your work, prioritize, organize things like that was sort of ingrained, but you just, like I found, you know, working in um, a startup, like there's just, you just become so reactive because there's so many fires put out on a daily basis. So having a framework, which you know, kind of gets you to focus on the right things and makes you, you know, really think about your calendar, really think about where way you're spending your time and doing energy audits and things like that. Um, that's, you know, really made me a lot more efficient, a lot more focused in what I do.
0: Yeah, I think like, you know, we've been fortunate that we've got um, great investors behind us um so that like a constraint isn't around capital at this stage but the biggest constraint in our day is time there's everyone only has 24 hours so to make it everything far more efficient um you know without getting things done framework or all the different frameworks that you can put in place to what we kind of call internally like our company OS, like the company's operating mm-hmm. system making everyone far more efficient one people uh, across the team feel so much better because they feel like they get a lot of progress but also um the other thing as well is that it allows the team to be more flexible and be like oh i can actually work uh, normal decent hours um and get like so much more done because of the frameworks are in place to make me efficient and i'm not getting bogged down with like the 30th internal meeting about like something to discuss it and why am i in this meeting or whatever it is it's like efficiency give people time and maximize the time because it's only resource here that's finite.
1: yeah that's um that Visible, like, we've made that one of our core themes, just, like, having good documentation as part of our company DNA. Because, yeah, I mean, like, when I mean, as you start scaling, you start hiring more people, like, you want to reduce that time for them to be effective as much as possible. Like, you want to speed up that onboarding curve. Um, and I think without documenting stuff and putting stuff in the right way to just set them up for success is impossible. Um, so yeah, resonate with that a lot.
0: Yeah, it's that Matt. Mo, um, I always, what's his name, Matt Morkai, the um, CEO coach who did like Twitch and Bolt and a number of the large, uh, really successful companies. I know he did Sam Altman as well. He's like, if you say anything more than once, write it down and put it in the wiki because that means someone else is going to ask it. i
1: time timeless
0: everything, things so documented. The
1: knowledge is here. People don't have to ask. It's like up oh, sufficient. So, so yeah, couldn't agree more. Last. Question I've got for you. If you had one ask for our listeners, what would it be?
0: Um, I think um, what we're we, uh, gearing up for is looking to expand and launch into international markets. The focus of the business has always been being a global company. Um, and we're just using this market to validate um, and build some of the core technologies. Um, So really, we want to focus on finding the right partners uh, to help us scale and launch in possibly the U.S. So that could be from, you know, uh, employees who are actively hiring, um, you know, a huge amount of roles with like doubling the team pretty regularly. Um, It could be, you know, uh, customers um, in terms of consumers, but also business partners, but
1: or even like capital expansion for us to fund that growth into new markets as well. Yeah. Who would be ideal capital partner? in the U.S. or other markets that you're targeting? Like, what would their persona look like? So I think um, I
0: just want to call out, we've got a ton of really good angel investors who are strategic and um, uh, who have done things in the space before, but I won't go into it too much. We've got great investors in Artesian, who's one of Australia's largest venture capital funds and Global Founders Capital, who are also, um, uh, um, you know, uh, one of the bigger funds globally. I think for us, in terms of the profile of, fund, uh, really what we look at is like, how deep is the expertise and domain knowledge in um, the area that we have. We, Ellie and I have uh, been fortunate enough to speak to people in different areas and the delta between people who have gone through it before, those people who are just exposed to it the first time is night and day. So people that really have a deep understanding of food, food tech and marketplaces is extremely valuable to us. And then also people that have just had that kind of, you know, um, Uber, Airbnb type uh, or, you know, uh, any of the fast delivery companies, which is rapid market expansion. Like how do you get boots on the ground as quickly as possible? And those are kind of the two uh, profiles of investors with that domain expertise um, we look for because they can help us in the journey by accelerating learnings.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it all makes a ton of sense. Um, I think we definitely have some listeners that match some of those, hopefully all of them, but We'll make sure to try to plug it. Um Well, cool. That wraps it up for us. Um, any last questions for me? or Like anything else I can help with? Like, I think what you guys are building is super interesting. I'd love to stay in touch or just like generally be as helpful as I can. Um, but yeah, anything else I can help with or still on the line?
0: No, I don't, I don't think so. At this stage. Just let us know what, what else you want us to do. We'll promote things on our channels as well. So just let us know. Um, um, yeah, just just let
1: us know.
2: And no, thanks for having
1: us as well. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Appreciate you guys saying yes to my cold email. Um, I, <laughs> will, I will clean this up just so you have a chance to review the audio or uh, remove any like awkward word gaps or anything. And then before we go live, we'll, we'll ping you just so you're aware of it. And then, yeah, if you're, if you're open to it, we'd love if you could share it on your channels as well.
2: Yeah, yeah we'll definitely do that. Um, no, the last podcast we went on, we... We gave it a bit of a plug in it, but it went, it went, it went pretty crazy. So yeah. hopefully we can give it a good push. Yeah. That's the benefit of a D2C business in some senses people are a little bit more engaged with the content than a SaaS business, which is
1: nice. Yeah. 100%. Well, cool. This has been awesome. I appreciate you guys saying yes again. And yeah, just look out for an email from me. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much, so Clay.
2: was lovely to meet you.
1: Yeah, you guys too. Hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your stay in that beautiful villa. Really jealous.